Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. This is the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. This is a special uh, Yacht College Auxiliary edition. I'm calling it that because our guest today was someone who I was really hoping to get into Yacht College. I think he's got, this is a very Yacht college kind of uh, topic that we're going to be going over. But uh, Ravi Romanini, uh, who is the VP of Soccer Analytics and Research for the Sounders. Did, how badly did I butcher your last name, Ravi? Uh, I think you, do, you got it pretty, pretty well there. Um, I, think, I, think you, I think the, the issue always been was the spelling when you spell it out. Okay. <laughs> so that's fine. Okay. Well, Ravi, uh, thank you so much for doing this. You've been, you've been kind of a, a quiet, but very productive member of the front office for maybe longer than people realize we were, you know, before we started recording, we uh, were discussing how you got involved with the Sounders and it goes all the way back to 2012, I guess. Um, and I don't, I don't, again, I don't know how many people know this, but you were basically, you were working for Microsoft. You were basically a, a soccer blogger and you connected with Dave Tenney and then one thing led to another. What's the, what's the short version of how you got involved with Sounders? I think you, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I can talk about it for an hour, but I would say <laughs> that uh, I, um, I was, uh, look, I always loved soccer. Um, you know, uh, even coming from a cricket crazy country, I used to play cricket up to high school, um, but we never played soccer that much because we didn't have um, most of, we had to play in dirt and it would meant like serious injuries. So uh, parents wouldn't, my parents wouldn't let me play soccer. So, um, so anyway, um, uh, Washington and so, Seattleites uh, can really uh, relate to you on that though. Cause uh, I'm sure a lot of anyone that grew up playing soccer in there, especially in Seattle, grew up playing on a lot of dirt fields or clay fields or all kinds of crazy things that are all now. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's, yeah, that's a good, good point. So, um, and so like when, and, and obviously um, in general, growing up in my generation, like sports was always seen as uh, you, you were not really allowed to, they don't, they, they never, like parents of my generation never encouraged kids to, or rarely encouraged kids to pursue sports on a serious level because the competition to get into colleges is very, very high in India. Like you have to be, um, just to give an example, like it's not sufficient if you're 99 percentile, you have to be 99.9 um, to get into the good colleges uh, and having where you can pay less money and, and graduate with a good degree. So it's always been study, study, study. So, uh, so yeah, so cricket was one where 
I would play, but it was just like a big negotiation to just get to play a few hours a weekend or something. Um, but when I moved to, you know, like I, I moved to US, um, uh, I was working at Microsoft. Um, and, but then I, my, my love for soccer has always been that I always watch the games and try to understand, read and the read and all that stuff. So I started writing blogs. I, so I always wanted to like, well, somehow I need to get into soccer. Uh, but I obviously didn't know how. So I thought the best way to get into it was writing blogs. So, um, and also this is also dates to the point that like the late 2000s was when the blogs were at probably like becoming like the fad, everybody writes a blog. Uh, this was just, I think Twitter just about started by then, not yeah. really a big thing. Um, so started writing blogs, you know, firstly just normal ones. Like uh, I used to write, for a blog that was talking about Spanish league. Um, and then um, I started writing for VRL USA, which in various forms, I think now it's with SB Nation yeah. with the, the you guys. Um, so, uh, and, and then I was working at Microsoft and it was um, like, it's a, I, I realized like, as I was getting, you know, at Microsoft, I was working in, uh, in a very high visible department or group, which meant that it was a very hard, you know, hard job in terms of the hours, like really long hours per week. And it was getting to a point where it was like, yeah, I can't really do both. Um, and um, at the same time, um, you know, my wife, who is my wife now, Sarah, she was also at Microsoft. She also had similar ideas of, quitting Microsoft and working for a soccer analytics company. She was a little further ahead of me. Um, and so we used to kind of like talk a lot um, and uh, discuss how we're going to quit Microsoft, blah, blah, all that. Um, and then in the end, she ended up doing it before me because she was, as I said, much further ahead in planning. And uh, she was she worked for a company that eventually got bought by Arsenal. So she works for Arsenal right now. Um, so um, that's a side story. And that's how I, I was like, okay. I have then realized that, well, I, mo most of my job at Microsoft involved a lot of data analysis. And uh, so I've realized, well, this is another way to get into soccer. So uh, what I did, then I switched my blogging to analytics blogging, started writing things about analytics, things about soccer. And, um, and then um, I met Dave. Um, uh, Dave Tenney, uh, you know, I think, I think your listeners will know, uh, yeah. who he is. Um, um, Dave, Dave, uh, ran this conference here, um, sports science conference for, it's a very famous one among the, among the peers in, in across Europe, as well as here. A lot of people, a lot of, uh, very talented people came from, uh, Europe. It used to be run in summer. So they are all free on vacation at the time. So they would come over and talk about, uh, different things on fitness side as well as tactical or technical side. And so they, so um, in one of one such conferences, I think Sarah was speaking, uh, spoke at one such conference and, and I met Dave when I went there um, to, to meet him. It was, it was actually like at the Seahawks facility. I remember now um, the, the VMAC. Um, so I met him there. And then after that, he asked me like, well, he told me, uh, uh, and also I met him after Sounders games a few times. Um, and then he was like, they just got some Sounders at that point, got some, got the GPS and other 
other uh, physical fitness equipment, um, you know, measuring equipment recently at the time. It was 2012 and he wanted some help with the numbers. So I would I would meet him uh, at a Starbucks or something and, you know, he would give me numbers and next week we meet again. Dave would meet me on his off days uh, during the week um, and we would, uh, and I would do some analysis and give it to him at the end of that 2012 season. He uh, he offered me if I could join the team, and that's how I started at the Sounders. And so, did you at the time think that that was like? Did you have designs on getting a job with the Sounders at that point, or was that just I'm gonna just throw my hat in here and and see where it goes? I was doing the proverbial knocking every door I could, you know, so uh, I was, you know, that was the idea of the blog, right? Just put a, put yourself out there. And I this this advice I still give to people who ask me how to get into sports or soccer or analytics is that there is really no, I mean, at least now it's a little better than like 10 years ago or seven years ago uh, in terms of like, there are these roles now. If you If you say a word about analytics, I think, the GMs and the coaches would have at least heard it. Like, you know, most of them probably have some, some more insight than just hearing the name, but I think they, at least you, you wouldn't find one that has never heard the word or the role. Um, so it was at the time it was like, okay, you do a blog and put yourself out there, who knows? And then, and that's kind of how I, so that was the idea. So, so Sounders was one, I was talking to some data companies at the time, I think, at the time it was called Opta, but right now they are Perform and you know different names. But uh, that was another company that that I was talking to, and you know I got some data from them to analyze, and put 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 did the analysis and put it on my blog and their blog as well. Um, so yes, yeah, so I was trying just see which one. It's basically throwing stuff at the wall and see mm-hmm. which one sticks. And I had a period of time about like I quit Microsoft and I gave myself like six to nine months to find this. And if I didn't find this, I was like, okay, I would go back to software again. So, um, so yeah, luckily I was I was in the right place at the right time. So I was able to get connected with the Sounders. So it sounds like when you first started, it was mainly fitness focused. Like you wanted to, like Dave was really big on trying to understand, you know, workload and how that contributes to injuries. And that was, you know, Dave was the the high performance director, I think is what his title was at the time. And, uh, but it sounds like that's, that's evolved a lot since you first started there. Like you, you're focused more on performance data than fitness data. Is that correct? Yes. So, um, so I did the first, first couple of years of my stay here, maybe three, two and a half, three years, like 13, 14, 15, I built the first, I built the infrastructure to handle all that data and then built reports on top of it and be able to analyze and answer questions based on what coaches were asking or what they wanted to know. Uh, I built that and you know, when, when God joined, when God Lagerwey joined the team in, I think he joined uh, you know, at the beginning of 2015 yeah. officially. Uh, so I, he asked me, he saw that and he's like, wait a second, can you build me something similar on the recruitment side? And, uh, and, players uh, so that we can analyze players and you know player signings so at that point i started switching slowly to the other side because there was not much infrastructure on the other side at that time i was doing some small projects like for 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 chris or you know for kurt at the time uh, i was i was i was keeping my that was my 
that was the reason I wanted to get into this job. So, mm -hmm. so I was doing that on the side myself without, you know, data, publicly available data and all that. Uh, but once Goth came in and he said, like, I want you to do this. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to switch to this. And we, uh, I started working on it. So, so yeah, so right now I'm, and then along the way, I also picked up um, managing the salary cap of the team. Um, so, um, so now those are my two main things. So I work on the salary cap about, you know, when we're trying to fit some players in or, you know, the usual MLS salary cap mechanisms. And then, um, and then I work with um, Goth and now Craig and Sean Henderson scouting when we're in terms of recruitment. And I work with uh, Brian and assistant coaches on analyzing our games as well as our opponents. Um, so that's kind of my three major roles. And so how, how would you how would you like play like place MLS and the Sounders in terms of their uh the way they use analytics compared to the soccer world. Like, is it, is it, are, are we leading edge? Are we kind of normal? Are we still trailing behind? I think MLS in general, I would say is about, uh, is ahead of, um, ahead meaning in terms of the breadth of teams having analysts. It's, it's, I think everyone in, uh, I think Europe definitely, uh, Europe is, again, is it different countries? It's a little different. I think England is the only country in Europe, I would say, that's using it uh, across the board. Uh, so MLS would be, you would put MLS in the same category that, that there is a lot of teams with analysts or analytics staff. Um, now, there are teams, you know, you go to like, there are always like exceptional teams in like uh, other, other leagues, but it's not a league-wide thing. Like, you know, if mm. you go to Spanish league, there's maybe a couple of teams or three or four teams, but not all the 20. Uh, but you go to England, maybe it's like 16 out of 20. And I think the MLS would be the similar out of 20, 27, right? 27, maybe there's like 23 or 22. Mm. So, and then the other one. So I have at least one person just looking at some of this. Um, maybe 23 is too many, but 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 it's, it's, a, it's a big number. It's probably closer to 20, let's say. Um, so I would say that from a world perspective, I think MLS ranks pretty favorably uh, where they are as a league um, in terms of if you want to look at the floor. Now, and, if you go, if you want to look. Go. Oh, no, that's I think I think you were going where I was going to go with it, which is like, is that just there's a bunch of people working here or are they actually doing good work? Like is the is the ceiling uh, well, as well as the floor high? So, so, yeah, yeah so the. So the ceiling is where I think it's it's you get it gets more rarefied, right? Just as you know, ceilings go. Uh, like you have, I know you go to Europe. Like everybody will talk about Liverpool. We had one of their analysts come and present at our conference in, a, in 2019, um, and um, and then there is uh, you know Arsenal. Uh, you know, I know because uh, my wife works there uh, for them. Uh, and uh, and then there's a few other clubs that are definitely have bigger like you're talking about six not six seven seven figure budgets for for whether it's data collection or uh, data analysts number of analysts or like you know the staffers and all that and we're talking about that so I don't think MLS is that level yet but I do think there's a few clubs where 
if you look at if you add up all the salary budgets and all that it gets into six figures hmm. so so that's you know and and but but then there are also clubs where it's maybe a lot maybe just one person uh, and his salary and that's it whatever that is um so i would say sounders are probably in the top um in the top echelon whatever however you want to describe that of the mls um purely because we've been doing this for a long time now um and um and then the other thing for me is that more importantly like i always look at this as how much and this is hard to know from organization to organization how much how much integrated are the analytics people into day-to-day decision making and 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 that varies a lot and there are there are clubs in europe where the budget is seven figures but but they're not as integrated. So which, which in my opinion, is, is kind of maybe wasting resources. If you are not going to use it, maybe you don't need to spend all that. But, but, but anyway, I think, I think from that perspective, I, it's hard to know because you're not there. Uh, but, but I think MLS definitely also, I think as a league, probably is, uh, I think, ranks favorably uh, from that perspective as a league as well. Maybe maybe there's only a few teams that have that level of integration, but that's the same everywhere. Like even if you go to England, I don't think uh, even if let's say 16 teams have analytics departments out of 20, I think a lot of them are so very well integrated uh, into the day-to-day decision-making process. Um, and And because at that point it becomes, it's not a problem of, analytics or data it's just a it's just a culture and communication problem um and i think that's a that's a that's a you know culture is something that the wheels turn slowly it doesn't change that fast um so and then think you know we're all trying to push it in one direction um um and and i think a lot of times it just comes down to i think the philosophy at sounders for us is that we just want for any decision we want to make, we want to use all the information available. That's at the high, basically that's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Now, if some of it will come in the form of form of, uh, form of an interview, personal interview with the player, if you're talking about player recruitment, some of it comes as a form of analytics. Some of it comes watching video. Some of it comes watching in person, the player. Um, we want to get all of that and see what, how it will fit and how how we can use that to make as good a decision as possible. Um, and 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 it's like if you think about it as like if, you, if I want to give an analogy, um, think about driving a car and you don't have the the side view mirrors. You can still drive the car with just using the rear view mirror, but but you you'll have more blind spots. You have to kind of turn your neck a lot more often to avoid accidents, which is bad decisions. But if you have the side view mirrors as well, then your chance of hitting a blind spot is minimized. So what we're trying to do with these different types of information is minimize the blind spots and and be able to make the right decision. Now, doesn't mean, and I use the word minimize, it's not, you know, make it zero because I think you can always, you can do the right process, but sometimes you still get some things wrong because we don't, I think we we're operating in a world where information is imperfect and incomplete. We have to make decisions based off of that. And, and I think that's, and in, in, in such an environment, it's important to turn every 
turn every stone or get every piece of information to make a decision. So how do you go about sifting? Because it, it seems like now, or maybe when you started, there wasn't a lot of information. And so it was kind of a, a discovery. Like you just needed to find the information that you thought was useful. And now it strikes me that there's a lot more information out there. And so you have to probably sift through noise of different sorts of information that you're getting that maybe aren't as important. Um, is I guess, A, is that true? And B, uh, how do you go about, like, what, what, what are you looking at when you're, when you're doing this analysis? Um, well, I think what you're, you're, you're alluding to is more in terms of the availability of a lot more data about players. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, well, I think the answer is yes. I think there's a lot more data uh, about players. And also we have data from a lot more leagues. And, you know, in the past, we, we weren't, we wouldn't know, we wouldn't get much data for certain leagues, like say Uruguay or Paraguay, but we do have that now. Um, and, um, and also for some, especially within MLS, we have also uh, tracking data available, which is a lot bigger data set. So to give you an idea, we operate, uh, or I here you know, in our department, we operate with two, two major sets of data. One is called the event data, which is similar to what you see on um, on like a, um, like a Opta or FBREF, for example, it uses, it uses StatsBomb data. So that's event data. There's about 3,000 to 3,500 events on the ball um, that they capture and add context around it, say, where did it happen? When did it happen? Uh, like, you know, X, Y location on the pitch, who received it, who passed it, and was there pressure or not, things like that. Um, and then, um, so that's the data that's widely available across the world, like for multiple for probably 70, 80 different leagues. Um, and we get, we get that data for, for a certain number of leagues that we tend to scout more often in. Um, and, then, and then there is a second data set uh, that is called the tracking data, optical tracking, which is just these cameras set up in your stadium. Uh, that's a much bigger data set. It's uh, probably a few million rows of data per game because you're collecting the, the location of every player uh, 25 times per second. So think about it as 22 players and 25 times per second, 90 minutes. So whatever. So basically, so that's so, and that that's for one match. So you now know, like when when people talk about like off the ball running or uh, you know creating space. Concepts, more like tactical concepts like that, um, that in the past with event data were difficult to answer because you only knew uh, if who the, the you only knew where the ball is and what what the player did with the ball and and a little bit more where okay if he was under pressure or not, but you didn't know where the other twenty one players are on the field. Uh, so, but then that if that tracking data is only you only get it for your own league. Um, uh, and so you can do a much deeper analysis for your own players and, and the opponents that you play within the league, but you don't get that for, um, for, the, for the players you're scouting from South America, for example. Mm -hmm. There is a third data set that has just started to come in, 
like a couple of years in, I think it was still early days, is where some there are companies that are taking the broadcast footage and creating tracking data out of it uh, based on whoever is available on the screen at any given point in time and have some sophisticated algorithms to approximate what they're when they're not, when they're off screen, what happened or uh, things like that. So, so that's a very, very, um, a very good application of computer vision technology that uh, that I think will be very useful. Uh, they're doing this in uh, in like NCAA basketball as well, uh, where they don't have tracking systems, so so to get more information. That's a set that's just coming uh, probably like the last two three years, um, and I think that'll be really useful. Uh, but we, um, you know, but it's still not widely available for all the leagues that we want. And it's, it's still pretty expensive at this point. So those are the three. We have the first one, the event data and the tracking data for our league because it's a league-wide agreement. So, so from that perspective, yes, there is a lot more data now. Um, the way we use it, um, I think, is for, for player recruitment, if we're looking at players uh, outside our league, uh, we we look at depending on the role. What is that we have identified some metrics of? For signing a for signing a number ten, what are the qualities of a number ten that we want in our number ten? And you know what are the types of um, situations or areas of the pitch he needs to dominate or be be really good at? And and see how he would um, and, and find players of that nature. Uh, and and as well as look at how they would just compare to like, for example, if you're talking about number 10 compared to Nico, or if you're talking about number nine compared to Raul, who has done really well here, Oba, who's done really well here. So like, uh, you know, because no two players are the same. So you're always going to get something that, that, that you, not that you don't want, but something that you didn't think about, you'll get something and you don't get something that you wanted because, you know, that's there in the current player. So you have to work through all that. So from that perspective, my job is to create, uh, work with the scouting um, department with Craig and with Sean and in the past with Chris um, uh, to, 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 to build those lists and, uh, and then identify, and then, Put, put a summary around each player saying these are the different players that we have and uh, that we think are good players and 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 kind of have a, a ranking based on if we want somebody that's a more gold dangerous player for lack of a better term then this is the one that is more goes to score goals the other one probably more different type of a creative player uh, and so we'll kind of sort all sort through all that and to a to a list my 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 goal always my success criteria for myself because in the end as you know everything is going to be determined by money we could have the best list in the world but if you can't afford the player uh then it's it's uh, and so that's the tricky part and it gets even trickier when you go into the non-dps but into go to like tam level player it, it's super tricky like because you have to look at different you have to look at really certain types of players that are depending on the age group, then depending on where they're coming from, are they coming off of expiring contracts? Do we have to pay a transfer fee? So, because, because the rules will, you know, if you have to pay a transfer fee, then you have to think about, okay, if it's a million dollar transfer, then we can't pay a lot of salary. 
But if it's a free transfer, maybe we can pay a little bit more salary. We can get a player um, that's uh, maybe l- l- better. And 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 it's so. And I think that's where the lot of the um, lot of work goes into is that a lot of times you're and and you have to be prepared that 99 out of 100 players you look at you'll never sign. Um, so and and so I think you have to be able to let go that oh I love this player but. He's going to cost us 10 million, so we can't sign him. Um, so, um, so I think that, and then my, as I said, my, for me, uh, the success criteria I look at as my job is that uh, as, an, as, as a head of analytics or the, for the team is that once I have my list or once, we, once I give the, these are the five players or these are the five players between ourselves and the scouting team and, and, and we have the list, at that point, I'm like, I, I should be, I'm happy if we pick any one of them. I think mm. that's what I aim for. So, because the final one, there is always, okay, one guy, oh, he defends a little bit better. Uh, if you're, even if you're looking at an attacking player, he tracks back in the defense. Or if you're looking at a defensive player, oh, he actually has this late runs. He makes these late runs into the box. So that's a good quality to have. We could really use it. Um, you know, in a certain way. So all those finer detail and and all that. And then, as I said, we also talk to the players and see if they really want to come here or not. Um, so all that, but, but as long as I am happy with my five or 10 or not 10, but five or six or three or four, I will be satisfied um, with whoever we pick. Um, like I think in the case of, um, you know, when we signed Nico, all the five guys we had in the list were all great players. Actually, we would have been fine with anyone, I think. Uh, but, you know, we, we got Nico and it worked out well for us. So um, what do you think, you know, pulling out a little bit, what do you think both people in the soccer world and then and and fans that are like trying to get more into trying to understand more and like more analytical information is available to people like me who just looking at like, like you mentioned FB ref or soccer, American soccer analysis or places like that where they mm-hmm. have like XG data, but then deeper dives too. I mean, what do you think we're misunderstanding in general or that even your bosses sometimes are, are misunderstanding? Well, I think that's a very difficult question to answer because I think it's uh uh, as I, I think I mentioned a little earlier, that at the highest level, this is a lot more of a communication um, mm-hmm. problem rather than data or data is important. Algorithms is important. But I think those are things you can, I think, to, to an extent are, uh, you know, fungible i don't know what that's the right word or not but but those are things i think yes you these are they're important you can do that but i think the real um um the real difficult part is number one um identifying or acknowledging to a degree uh, that it's incomplete information and number two um being able to communicate that uh in a constructive way or in a way that 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 yes this is useful this is important but um but also but if you ask me a question about certain aspect i can't answer from a data because i don't have it or i don't have the confidence in the data that we collect today Mm -hmm. to be able to answer that question i think if you if you want to if you get if i want to give an example if 
most of the stats we, we have today, um, I think I've given this example in another conference too, uh, is that we have, we have a lot of information about the execution of a play. Like for example, whether a person completed a pass or not, took a shot or not, whether a ball got saved or not. But there's not a whole lot of information about the decision making, whether he made the right decision. I think we're getting there now. We're, we're slowly, that's something that we're working on with the tracking data. We can look at if he had these passing lanes available, but it's not to a point where, automated to a point where we can say definitively or, or work through that data easily. It's still a little bit messy. Um, uh, but we don't really have a lot in saying whether he made a right decision or not. I think it's still a little bit more, um, you have to watch the game or you have to talk to the player. Um, and the other part is just even the, the perception um, of why did he take that decision, right? So that mm -hmm. is something, you know, even further away. Um, so I think, I, I think that's where like we can see a, we will try to understand and then we reach, we're hitting the limits That's when we get to those kind of questions and be able to just say, well, I can't answer that question. I think maybe that's, that's something that I find like incredibly powerful as a communication tool because it, it, it's, it's better than trying to come up with something which you don't believe, believe in. Um, um, and the other, other point is like, you know, I think the, with the stats and, uh, you know, in terms of uh, misusing or just misperceptions, I think uh, is that when we talk about numbers, we always want a sample space, sample size of a cert of certain set of matches. You want to, you don't want to make snap decisions of one match or one, one play or, you know, or even one or two um, matches or, or a few matches. So I think, but, but what I find now is that we're, we're, we're getting to a point where in the past we used to write about matches, which descriptive, um, descriptive, uh, descriptions of, oh, this is what happened in the match. We're using, we're using, uh, in the past we used to use mostly more, more subjective or more, uh, I would say more terms that are more like opinion based or, Oh, this is what I saw. Not saying it's wrong, but these are this is what I saw or how I saw it. But now we're using like stats, like uh, metrics, expected goals, or even other other metrics to to write the same type of or to say the same stories. Um, but but what I see is that uh, sometimes, sometimes not all the time, is that we uh, we try to draw too much just because oh now because expected goal says this. Right. I should, this means that, okay, this is, you know, there is a definitive, uh, uh, the, 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 whatever I'm saying is more decisive just because I'm adding an expected goals number to it. Right. But you have to also think that single game expected goal numbers, they, they, they are not as, uh, as, as useful as over a period of time, like they're useful to a point, uh, but, but we can't really um, draw uh big conclusions off of it. And I understand the problem from, from like, from, uh, from, um, from a media or writing in, you know, in public sphere is that you also don't, like the attention span is so small that you can't really say that, 
I'm not going to say anything about this game. I'm going to wait for eight games to say, or seven right. games, whatever, <laughs> to, to say something of this player. You can't do that. So, uh, so I think it's a, it's a really, uh, it's a problem that that's like very hard to tackle. I think it's, I, th- I don't think anybody is doing it out of malice or out of intention, but I think it just comes off like that. Uh, so do you, I mean, I don't know, are, uh, do you like that like XG has become part of the lexicon of, of talking about soccer or do you think that that's actually led us astray in some ways? No, I think it's good. I think it's good that uh, we look at it because I think there is definitely, we're, we're digging deeper, right? Like if, if I look at how we got to XG as analytics, as analysts itself, um, even before it got into public, in the beginning, we were looking at, I remember one of the first pieces of analysis I've done was that teams that, that had more completed passes in the final third were winning more uh, games or mm-hmm. create or winning or you know scoring more points and goals, and if you take a step back and it's like yeah I mean that's and if I go tell that to coach I mean this is I'm telling this is my analysis from eight years ago or nine years ago if you it's it, it's logical yeah if you have a lot of possession in the final third means that you're dominating the possession there and eventually you're going to break through one way or the other. You're going to have more shots. And then, and then there was analysis about, and then there was something called total, total shots ratio. Um, and this was, uh, which was basically saying the ratio of the shots uh, in the game. So if you have 10 shots and your opponent has 20 shots, then the opponent is twice likely to win the game and that's a crude way of looking at expected goals right before expected goals you do this now obviously you can always argue the extreme case of all the 20 shots from outside the box with low probability to finish then maybe it's not true but but it rarely happens that way there are always cases when it happens every now and then but but i think it's rare but now we're getting to a point where we're putting a number to yeah well all the shots from so he they have 10 shots but Six of them are not very high quality, so or not 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 likely to be not likely to score goals with those most of the time. So you are definitely getting closer. I think it's a good thing. Like there is no doubt about it. But but I think um, but there is the what what we call like descriptive um, descriptive predictive prescriptive. Like this mm-hmm. is a kind of a steps in terms of analytics. Descriptive is just describing what just happened. I think. Uh, and and then use use all the data. There are certain data that you can use. Um, you know, the best description of a game is the game was won and lost by who scored more goals. So right, two two one. So the goals is the most descriptive stat. But then, but then you're but then that's very simplistic. So now you go go underneath that and say, yeah, but the two goals they got were on two two like shots from way far and the other team had a lot more shots from inside the box, higher goal with, with higher expected goals. And, and, and now you're saying like, well, this may not be sustainable for the team that won the game. And if you, and so, so that, that's kind of how you, you, you write your descriptive and your predictive. And, and the second part, what I said was more predictive saying that, well, maybe this is not a recipe to win a lot of games. Maybe you won a game here, maybe you won another game sometime, but maybe you won't win a lot of games like that in a season that way. So that's your prescriptive, sorry, predictive. A prescriptive part is the, is the one I think 
we all probably want to, not all of us, but probably work, people working at the clubs are uh, probably more interested in is understand the predictive part and then say, okay, how are we going to fix it? Like, what, what are we going to do? How, what is, what do you prescribe we do or how do we do it? And I think that's, that's the part that we, we focus a lot more on uh, or we, we end up focusing a lot more on identity between hanging between the predictive and the prescriptive part of, uh, and, and, and coaches are, uh, you know, coaches also, even though they like, coaches also operate in the same space of like, you know, with their own information, they look at a game and say, yeah, we're not doing this right. Uh, we didn't do this right. This is something we need to work on that they're prescribing that, hey, this is what we need to do to get better. So and, how, and like, and, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. So how is your, so, no. understa- I'll just ask the question. <laughs> How is yeah. your understanding of what makes a good soccer player changed out of all this? I mean, it, or what makes a good team uh, changed or has it changed? And it's just being able to like put data behind it. Yeah, for sure. I, I learned a lot from, uh, from our, um, I learned a lot since uh, I joined the Sounders. I would say when I first walked into the Sounders coach's office, there was Ziggy, Ezra, Brian, um, Tommy, um, uh, I think that's it at the time. Yeah. Um, and between them, they, between their playing careers and coaching careers, there was about a hundred years of football there. So literally like for me, like that, and so there was a lot for me to learn. Like, you know, a lot of things I thought from being outside as a, as a fan, just watching, even if I watched a ton of games, it was a different, different uh, thing and over the years I've gotten a lot better, a lot better in terms of understanding the game. Um, you know, I work a lot. I'm very lucky here to uh, at the Sounders. Like, I've gotten a lot of um, time. I, I've gotten spent spend a lot of time with Brian and with Gonzo, with Jimmy. Um, you know, with with all our coaching staff here, uh, and you know, a lot of the discussions are about um, about I would bring up some data or some some metrics or something that I found on through my analysis, and we would discuss and see what happened. And I think the biggest thing I I, I tried to I will uh, I learned or I always something that we tend to forget when we're trying to look at analytics versus traditional or analytics is, as a different thing is that at the end it's just that all the numbers we're seeing or just what happened in the game. It's just collected differently. So when, when a coach, when you're watching a game, you're looking at something, but when uh, a computerized system is collecting data, it is collecting certain data. It is still about the same game. So I think we, sometimes we tend to forget that and that think that these are different, but it is still, the game tells us a lot of things that, you know, for example, something, Oh, if you look at a, a good team, how are they creating like Manchester City or Chelsea? Oh, what, what do they do well? Or what are they, how are they creating chances? And you look at that and it's like, and you see the place and the game is hundreds of years old. So we've all done those plays or we've all done those movements um, uh, involuntarily at one point or the other. But I think the, the, the big secret is 
identifying which ones are the good ones and be cognizant of them and repeat them because it's a game where they're not going to be good. soccer has no not much scoring like there's three goals in a game so you have to repeat those actions over and over again and 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 that's how and and then you know and and, and you identify them and repeat them and then try to recruit players for them right uh, or or identify the movements for the players you have or the skills they have and so that to me like that's kind of the biggest lesson i've learned or some things that i've picked up so i watch games differently now uh, mm-hmm. compared to what i was watching before um uh, and i also have because working on the salary cap i also have now a great understanding or i'm learning i uh, know i don't have a finished product by any means but i can i understand how to what are the skills you need in a team like an mls team or any team with a certain budget and how do you structure that and what are the important pieces that you want to build from the beginning like how do how do you if i have to build a team from zero this is how i'll build it and those are things i've uh, always um refining my ideas about that as i learn more things so i'm curious one of the or i'm just kind of curious in general how how have you seen your information translated onto the field like are you able to uh affect the way that brian sets up for a team or are you like are there particular players like i know you you've been influential in the signing of numerous players like you mentioned nico but like in the in terms of the analytic like the in-game analytics have you seen that play out like you've been able to say like you know we hear brian talking about the prime assist zone a lot um which is you know maybe not the most cutting edge thing now but certainly when he was talking about it it was the first time i'd ever really heard that uh that term used um but yeah i mean are there examples of of that that you've taken some pride in maybe of saying like oh yeah we're or you know like i don't know i'll give you another like the sounders right now apparently are among the top teams in pressures at the, in the midfield and in the defensive uh, third. Um, I don't know if that's an analytics thing or if that's just like a happy, like a, a happy. So interesting. Tidbit. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think one of the things uh, I would say, I think like, uh, as I said earlier, I'm very closely integrated with, both on the recruitment side as well as on the, you know, coaching side. Brian is awesome to, you know, like he's, I've learned a lot from, as I said, like from the coaching staff and, you know, we have these discussions and uh, um, uh, a lot. And, and so, but though it's hard to like, I, I take pride in almost like, you know, you mentioned the, the primacy zone, for example, um, that that's one of the things uh, from years ago. Um, I think now it's, as you said, it's not like that. It, everyone seems to do that same thing now. Uh, uh, but um, but yeah, like but for me, I think it's um, I always take pride in like making good decisions, like overall as an organization. So I there is and and I would say this though also that there is rarely a, a case where just one um, like I can say where oh just my data did this like i think it's very it would be very ingenious or sorry not ingenious in uh sorry uh, it would be very disingenuous to to say that uh because i think it's never true uh, because there's always uh 
different people arriving at the same information or having same ideas. And also you look at, as I said, it's all about minimizing blind spots. So we, we try to use every piece of information that we have and, and data is part of it. And, you know, like I get this question often and it's hard for me to separate and say, this is just because, because it's rarely we, we, we ever make a decision of just one source of information. And, and so, uh, you know, like we've we've a lot of times we've done even um, in terms of players and stuff, we've we've had a lot of no go decisions based on okay maybe physically if we have physical data of player maybe he's not what we're looking for or data maybe he's not what we're looking for, but as I said we reject ninety nine probably not ninety nine uh, nine hundred ninety five <laughs> out of a thousand players. So, uh, so, so like, you know, so we make a lot of decisions that way and it's become a part of the, part of the day to day and the part of the DNA here that it's really hard to separate. So I'm not trying to make things up, but it's just how it is. No, that, that makes total sense. Um, I, I am curious how, how has like, there's to the two big things that have happened in the last year, COVID I would think has created more blind spots in ways uh, both mm-hmm. in terms of yes. uh, player fitness and just visibility into leagues. Uh, I'm curious how, how has COVID impacted your work? Um, COVID for me um, is being a little different. As you said, like, you know, we couldn't go scout players in person anymore. So, you know, as a result, we also haven't signed anybody in, in the COVID era, right? We signed Joe Paulo before that. Mm-hmm. Um um, during COVID, we haven't signed really any uh, big interest. We've signed Joe Paula and Jamar, but those we've already analyzed and scouted prior. Well, um, and they were signed before COVID even really hit. Yeah, they were signed before that. Um, so, so yeah, for sure, I think we have, we've gotten a little bit more, you know, it also means that we have one one less source of information. Just think about it as you don't have the driver's side uh, rear view, like the side view mirror. Right. So it meant it's, it's, it's extra work for us to be a little bit more diligent and also uh, be more cautious uh, about who we sign. Um, and, um, and personally for me, like the first few months, I did not go to Orlando. Um, it was not needed there. Um, so I did not go there. So I was working from home during that time. Uh, once the team got from, back from Orlando, I joined the first team bubble. Um, uh, and, and then I, w- we, so then I was more, you know, coming to Starfire as usual, just for the, for the training part and, you know, the usual, usual stuff. Uh, but it gave me a lot more time to, um, work on the infrastructure and other projects that, that I couldn't do on a day-to-day basis because of it on a normal time. Um, but it, and all of us had a lot of time working from home or not working at all for us we, between um between like march 7th or 10th march 10th i think is when we finally uh no march 10th or 11th that was when we finally shut it down here uh and about may uh towards the end of may uh, it was just there wasn't much going on and after that it was a lot more like just working on longer term projects and um, things like that for me personally, because we weren't doing a lot of uh, um, signing players. Or sc- we were still scouting on video and and uh, analyzing guys, but it was a lot more more geared towards the future. Um, well, it definitely had an impact. Oh, I was gonna say um, this has been 
a super interesting conversation. Uh, I feel like we could probably go on for hours if we wanted to, but um, I I feel like I should probably cut you loose soon here. Uh, I I am curious. I, I this being an auxiliary class class of yacht college. Do you have any good homework for our, our listeners? Like, is there a resource people can go out and uh, and look at in order to like have a better understanding of of analytics and and be smarter fans? Um, I think I will, a couple of things. I think you you already have mentioned it about FB Ref and American Soccer Analysis. Uh, those guys do great. I mean, I know a lot of them personally um, and um, uh, through through internet or through Slack or through Twitter. Uh, so they do a good job and there's a lot of uh, stuff out there. And I think they're also always looking for, and, and a lot of the writers that, that uh, were writing there have, eventually gone on to be hired by clubs and um and and do other you know bigger things uh so i think if anybody wants to get into something like that it's it's all always about putting yourself out there and show what you can do um in terms of just you know uh for for just watching the games um i say is uh pay less attention to the ball and see what's happening um, away from the ball. Uh, that, that, will, that will definitely open some eyes and, uh, because it will be a different experience, um, uh, especially if you're at the game uh, at, 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 at Lumen Field. I think that's something you could do easily on TV. It's a little harder. But, but yeah, that, that, that has opened my eyes when I first started doing it, using our tactical footage and all that. Um, and, um, so I think that will be a good, 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 good assignment. That's I like that one. That is actually, that's great. And I have to admit that's something that, uh, especially when you have some vantage point at, at Lumen field, it's a great thing to be able to do that. You, you're right. You can't really do it as well on TV, uh, because you, you, you get to choose what you're looking at when you're, when you're at the game, but, uh, yeah. Bobby, so is- for, for Euro 2001, sorry, just to add, uh, for the Euro 21, I think they have a ESPN plus footage where they have a, it's like one of those wide angle type thing. Yeah. So that may be another one. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a good one. That's, that's a very good one, Robbie. Um, thanks for doing this. Uh, we're going to have to pick this up again sometime and we're going to like force you to tell us some more secrets. Uh, but this was, this was awesome. Uh, congrats on the relatively recent uh, promotion. Uh I, I love seeing a VP of soccer analytics. That's a, that's a pretty exciting thing. So uh, congratulations on that. And thanks for doing this. Well, thank you for having me on and uh, yeah, thanks. And uh, I'm still the same guy. So you've seen me all these years. So uh, no, nothing's changed. I'm just gotten a little older. That's all. <laughs> all right, great. Well, you're listening to the Sounder at Heart podcast. And this was a auxiliary course of Yacht College. Uh, Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.